Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, podcast asking the question, what does it take to be fully alive in the 21st century, and how do we best maintain that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors of this very strange and very potent time? I am your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor, and my aim with the show is to create a multidisciplinary conversation that brings in people from all walks of life who are all answering this question of how we can truly live on the edge of our capacity in a way that is holistic and integrated and with the focus of helping other people. So to join us in this conversation today, we have the artist, ritualist, teacher, and author, Day Schildkret. He has recently released Hello Goodbye, a recipe guidebook on how to have your own rituals, and previously has released Morning Altars, which is all about altar craft, as in like shrine altar kind of deal. So today we are going to be diving into the anatomy of a ritual and how you can incorporate this practice into your life to help mark periods of transition. Oftentimes we go through life with a lot of momentum. Our lives kind of have a snowball effect where we really lose track of who we are, what our aspirations are, and how we can really stay grounded. So his work with helping people become ritualists is to not bring them into an ideology, but to help them create punctuation in their lives, notation, as I've heard it called, as in with music. So this is an incredibly potent conversation. Literally everything he says in here is juicy. It's very pertinent to this time of uncertainty, and I think a lot of you are going to get an immense amount from it. And my hopes is that you continue to follow Day and his work. He has an amazing Instagram where he's posting pretty much daily content. He uh, makes these uh, beautiful nature mandalas that are called morning altars, and it's something that I have really really found a lot of enjoyment in seeing uh, in my feed every day. He's also about to be doing another round of teacher training for the Morning Altar program. So all of those links will be down in the description. I know the pre-list is going to start May 9th. So if you want to hop down there, you can get hooked up into that. He's got a ton of other podcasts that he's done. I really think he is a wonderful human being and I'm really thrilled to have him on the show. And with that, I do also want to give a disclaimer that the first half of this episode, we were experiencing some bandwidth issues that affected Day's audio quality. I think it was on my remote recording studio's end, but we didn't recognize it while we were actually conversing. And it was only after when I was editing that I realized that some of the audio is um, a little choppy. I don't know if that's the right word for it. But I did try and clean it up to the best of my ability. It's roughly about 10 minutes of the episode. It's kind of split up a little bit, and it's only within the first half. So I would say during those moments, please just bear with us, practice some patience, and really treat it like a meditation to where you're really just focusing on the words that he's saying because I really I did not want to cut a single part of this conversation out because it's all so important for what we have going on in this society, in this culture, in this very specific time. So thank you so much for understanding, as I know my listeners will. You guys are great guys and girls, and 
all the in-betweens. I am really appreciative of everything that you are doing to show up for this show. So thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. If you want to stay in touch with Day's platform, head on on over to morningalters.com or dayshieldcret.com. There you can find his uh, teacher training information. You can look at his art. He's also on all the social medias. I really encourage it. I'm telling you what, I I wouldn't do you wrong in this way. If you want to help support this show, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Seriously, it really helps. Patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. You get plugged in now, then when I start doing the rewards, you'll be right there ready for it. Really, it's just to help keep the lights on right now, so to speak. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, all of that. Let me know how you're enjoying the show. You know, if you uh, interact with any of those platforms, I will receive it pretty much immediately. If you want to shoot me an email, all of that is on the website, 21stCenturyVitalism.com. Uh, yeah, without further ado, please kick back, drink some tea, do some stretches, and most importantly, open your heart for day shield crap. All right, day, we are now live. Just want to start by saying thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the show. It really means a lot that you give me some of your time. Happy to be here. Yeah. You are one of those people. It's always funny in my life. Um, some people just pop up on my like news feeds and I'm like, I don't remember following them. I don't know where I found them, but I started seeing your art, so I must have followed it somewhere. And the more that I was introduced to your work, the more... Y- it's really been moving me seeing this stuff every day and the work that you're doing with the altars and uh, with your new book, Hello, Goodbye, and this idea of reclaiming ritual mm-hmm. in our lives today, which is something that I think a lot of people have kind of left by the wayside. I think there might be some stigma based on the religiosity that often accompanies yeah. it. And I think it's a shame. And I think it's something that we really need to be bringing back into our human diets yeah and you know i'm just kind of curious how did you first realize that this was something that we were gravely missing and something you wanted to dedicate your whole life to well i think that you know the it's funny the the book basically is not a sign that things are working out for us you know the book is really a sign that we all have all forgotten too much and there's lots of reasons for that, you know. I talk, my I have a grandmother who's still alive, and she's 95 years old, and she's basically like the last living bridge between our family's um, existence in Eastern Europe and our move to uh, North America, which is, you know, if you're listening to the news these days, it's not a it's not a, a new story or it's not a done story. It's something that's continuing. And there's a lot of consequences to displacement. There's a lot of consequences when you are forced to leave the home, the community, the language, the food, the clothing that you were born into, and especially the customs and the rituals. Oftentimes the rituals are deeply intertwined with the land itself, with the seasons, with the harvest, you know, with births and deaths and with like your beloved community and village. And, um, and so displacement really is a huge 
um, co the consequence of displacement is that people forget. They forget where they come from. They forget what matters. They forget their customs. They forget the meaning in life. And so talking to my grandmother a lot, you know, she speaks about her childhood and she basically says, you know, in the 1940s, she wasn't interested in where her family came from. She was interested in looking forward. She was interested in the new and the next and the, you know, the American life. And that is code word for forgetting. She was interested in forgetting. And what that means is that many of us listening grew up in a culture and in families where we weren't passed down any rituals. And therefore, the space of rituals is oftentimes dominated by religion. You know, it's like, it's like, that's the space of rituals. If I'm not a part of a religion or I didn't grow up in that way, I don't know, you know, I, have a, I don't have a relationship with rituals. But the thing about rituals is that they predate religion. And they belong to the people and they actually belong to the people's imaginations. Um, being human these days is a pretty rough ride. You know? And it seems like it's getting rougher. And a lot of us are suffering from anxiety or depression or fear. And it's because part of it is because life is changing so quickly. And we in our, if you're in North America, the culture doesn't really give us any real skills to orient, adjust, and change with the change. It just expects us to just kind of keep moving forward, to keep living our lives, to kind of have business as usual, to always return to normal, to kind of just keep going along. But if you've ever crossed a threshold in your life, you know, a death, a birth, divorce, moving a home, leaving a job, whatever it is, you know that those moments inherently change you or they can change you. But it's not a guaranteed thing that they do. And so you have to change with change. But that, that requires a totally different kind of way of, of being in the world. And that in some ways is about slowing down. It's about embodiment. It's about being witnessed. And it's also very much about, um, you know, presencing all of the emotional and wonder and questionings that come with those moments. So here's a great example, by the way. I interviewed almost 300 people for this book. One of them was a woman who was at her job for 35 years. A long time to be at a job. After she retired, which is her threshold, leaving a job for 35 years, crossing this threshold into retirement, she kept on waking up every day at 5 a.m. for two years with an anxiety attack. Because her psyche thought that she was still in the job and she was upset that she was late for a meeting or she did something to her boss or she didn't get the paper done or whatever, you know, didn't get her work done or whatever. Something deeply inside of her was not impacted by the actual retirement. It still thought she was in her own reality. 
And so ritual is a way for us to distinguish the old reality from the new reality. It helps us to say, I am not I am no longer this person. I'm now that person. I'm no longer in that relationship. I'm in this relationship. I no longer have this living father. Now my father's dead. I no longer have you know my pet. Now they've passed. Like it helps us to distinguish reality as it changes and to resource ourselves in some semblance of not taking it for granted. You know, reaching that moment and offering some gratitude or praise or remembering or understanding that we can't get from just living our lives normally. So what would you say are some common symptoms of living in a culture that is void of having these markers for transition? Because honestly, as I hear you say this, and I'm in total agreement, you know, I know a lot of people in my life that are kind of afraid of change and anything that to them would dictate that there's been a large passing of time or to let something go could actually bring up like a lot of fear, you know? So like what happens when we don't really take the time to acknowledge that we are not the same being that we were during the prior chunk of time. The consequences are a variety. I mean, we're talking about anxiety, depression, um, feeling not in our bodies, stress, um, illness, uh, unexpressed feelings of rage or grief. I mean, it's very. It's there's a whole slew of psychosomatic consequences from not marking change. And then on the other side of it, by the way, is like some things that are that run rampant in our culture too, which is like entitlement, um, you know, like uh, exploitation, um, ghosting, you know, like something changes and you just like don't, you just leave. Um, numbness. I mean, there's so many consequences from actually avoiding thresholds, trying to run through them really quickly and get on the other side, always longing to return back to normal and always resisting change. There's enormous consequences on us as individuals and us and our communities and our culture when we don't know how to collectively and individually mark these moments. But mostly, the, the, I think the largest consequence is that we are in a culture that is in a meaning crisis, which is we don't know what anything really means or how to cultivate meaning. And so therefore, you have social media and, and you know, politicians like Donald Trump, and we have all of these like, figures in our culture where things don't make sense anymore. You know, and so we're struggling with sense and we're struggling with meaning and we're struggling with sense making. And people are confused and also isolated these days. And we have to, in some way, I mean, to me, this is a ritual. I'm trying to promote a ritual renaissance here, but that means turning towards the change 
calling in your friends or your community or your people to help witness you in that change and allowing yourself to change in the face of what life is doing. And sure, there's a lot of uncertainty in that, of course, because you don't know who you're going to be on the other side of that. But there's also, there's a lot of amazing human making skills that are available to us um, that ritual promotes, you know, anywhere from our capacity to truly listen, um, our capacity to be creative and imaginative, our capacity to be resilient, you know, to not just be tossed around by change, but to bounce back from it. So there's a lot of human-made capacities that our ancestors had because they had a, many of ours had a much more lived relationship with ritual. These days, rituals and routines get confused a lot. You know, people often call their routines rituals, like my co morning coffee ritual. Well, what makes a ritual? Because it's not just having coffee every morning. That's not enough. That's a routine. Routine, I'm a, I'm a word nerd, <laughs> and the words often give away the meaning because they, the words come from someplace, and they change over time like people do. And so the word routine actually etymologically has the word root in it, or route, meaning they're meant to get us from point A to point B. So like your nighttime routine is meant to get you from your waking to your bed. but Ritual is so not interested in destination. It's not interested in a point A to point B. Ritual is about meaning. So if you're making your morning coffee and you're going to call it a, a coffee ritual, then the big question is, what does that mean? What are you remembering when you're having your morning coffee? Is it an opportunity this is a, an ethnographer, Arnold Van Genep. He has a, a coined phrase he calls pivoting towards the sacred. Is this an opportunity to pivot towards the sacred, towards remembering? So speaking of coffee, when I was writing Hello Goodbye, I had a, a nighttime ritual where I would take my coffee filter for the next morning and I would take a pencil and I would write on the coffee filter a distilled bit of wisdom that I got from that day that I wanted to remind my morning self of the next day. And so I would do that, and every morning I would take the, the coffee filter and I would read it, and I would take a moment to pause with that remembering. And then I'd have my coffee, and my coffee was incredibly more meaningful because it carried that sense of remembrance from the day before. So that's a great example of transitioning routine into ritual. I love yeah. that. What would you say are some of like the basic, essential anatomy parts of a ritual that would separate it from something like a routine? Like, is there, I mean, to me, like the word that kind of comes is intention seems to be one of like the strongest indicators of, I mean, you're cultivating an intention and an actual focus. You're bringing your awareness to a specific, not outcome, but 
energy to imbibe that behavior, that action with. What would you personally in your experience say is some of like the core pieces that we could bring to our days? Well, I, you know, so many words these days in our kind of collective culture are, they're used so much that they've almost like lost any semblance of like what they mean. And I think, you know, unfortunately intention to me carries that that flavor of like, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the product on the shelf that's just like, it's been there forever. And it's just, what does it actually mean? What does intention mean? And to me, I think an almost more refined word that's more appropriate for ritual is attention. Um, bringing attention to something, something that's there rather than intention which is like bringing something from the inside out and the attention in ritual there's a variety of things to pay attention to one thing is the time and the space so rituals need containment they need some beginning middle and end to them so they they actually like a play they start and they end and you you can feel entering into the container and leaving the container and the container has totally different rules another thing similar to theater is that ritual needs witness so you know it's like if i used to work on broadway many many years ago And so I have a love of the theater and experience with theater. And, you know, it's one thing doing performances in rehearsal, but it's another thing doing them in front of an audience. And there's a, there's a living, almost invisible dialogue that happens between the audience and the actors. And ritual is a very similar thing. Sure. You can do a ritual by yourself. I do rituals by myself all of the time, but there's something different when you gather in witnesses to hold you or others in that remembrance, in that reflection of what's happening. Um, and there's an author by the name of Bayo Kamalafi, who's an African author, who's wonderful and a deep thinker and definitely kin when it comes to these realms. And he calls, he, he coined the phrase, which I love, with which is W-I-T-H, which is the role of a witness is to stay with what's happening, not to eject their opinions, not to control, not to, you know, they're just, they're just staying with what's here. They're not turning from it. And so that's another quality of ritual is that many, oftentimes it needs witnessing. Um, And there's so many other pieces, you know, I think that I wrote in this book, in the introduction, I wrote a lot, I wrote a variety of kind of essentials for rituals Um, because I consider it to be almost like a cookbook. Um, And rituals are, you know, I give recipes in the book um, of how to kind of enter in and exit out. Um, and how to gather people together around it, how to create that sense of 
attention or intention, as you mentioned, um, and how to use, I think most, most importantly, symbolic action, which is the last piece of, of the ritual kind of landscape I'll talk about, which is ritual because it's a meaning-making endeavor. It's about meaning. It, it also, it especially plays in the world of symbolism and metaphor. And to a, you know, a rational mind, which is what our culture is based in, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of these rituals don't make sense because they're not about, they're not about doing something that, you know, has, per, has a, a rational purpose. Instead, it's about doing something that has a symbolic purpose. So burying something, burning something, submerging something, tossing, twisting, ripping, etc. And oftentimes those symbolic actions carry the emotional weight of what you're experiencing inside and it lets you see them externally. And by seeing it externally, for instance, divorce, one of the rituals in the book is about taking an object from the actual marriage that's meaningful, like a ring, and burying it in there, right? And to most rational minds, that doesn't make any sense because there's value in the ring. You can sell it or whatever. But there's something about seeing the wholeness of the relationship and putting it down and letting the earth take it and the finality of that, the goodbye of that, that reaches us on a deeper level than the rational mind. It reaches our psyches and our hearts, our souls, to be able to see that externalized. So a core function of ritual always involves action. Rituals cannot be thought. They have to be done with your hands, with your mouths, with your bellies, with your feet. They're something that you do. It's interesting for me as a body worker and somebody who's studied a lot of the science of trauma resolution and really the new wave of therapists are talking about how it's really important to have the somatic relationship because yeah. trauma is stored in the body and it's an energy that needs to be expressed. And hearing you talk about the fact that there needs to be that symbolic action to me feels so in step with what even science is saying about how we hold on to experiences and have meaning stored within yeah. our like sinew, yeah. you know? So this idea of having that physical thing just seems it really profound. And I'm kind of curious for people who might not have the strongest relationship to the symbol making structures in their brain. I mean, they do, but might not be aware of it. How can they step into that creative process if they might feel a little like awkward about it or they're not really quite sure how to utilize that aspect of human creativity? Yeah, I mean, always starting sense. small, you know. First mm -hmm. off, remembering that <clears throat> rituals are never a guaranteed thing. They don't always, quote unquote, work, whatever that means. And to really lower the stakes, so I'd say first and foremost, lower the stakes. My book is devoted to who I call ritual curious people, you know, because 
there's a deep curi- <clears throat> excuse me there's a deep curiosity about what is a ritual how could it help my life obviously like if people are listening to this and they're unfamiliar or they're intimidated by ritual but there's something inside of them that can understand the benefit of it so that's all that's needed is a willingness second of all lower the stakes for instance i'm a ritualist and there have been times where i don't know what to do or i'm intimidated the introduction of my book starts off with a story about my mother because my mother has mid-stage dementia and the pandemic totally you know plummeted her mental health like for so many of us and there was some time last year for the first time that she forgot my name and that was a really devastating moment for me you know the woman that gave birth to me and that that named me actually forgot my name so that day life wanted to just carry on as usual you know i had things on the calendar i had a lunch to go to i had chores and errands to attend to but i did not i could not the, it was too um disorienting for me but the thing is is that i didn't know what to do you know i really did not know what to do i'm a ritualist i wrote a a damn book on ritual <laughs> and i didn't know what to do so i just lit a candle that was the first step super accessible you don't have to do you don't have to know anything about ritual to light a candle it's all over i mean even this dominant culture of north america knows how to light a candle for certain things right so i lit a candle and in that moment i realized what i needed which was to not feel so alone in the moment so i realized oh i need to light another candle so i lit another candle and i called in someone who loved my mother like our aunt or her sister or my brother or her parents and before i knew it i kept on lighting candles and the room at the end of this impromptu ritual was a glow in 50 candles and i had called out 50 people who cared for this woman that we loved and there's nothing special or intimidating about that i just lit candles you know and i just called out people that loved my mom but the symbolism of it was that i got to presence these people in the candle lighting and i got to transform or metabolize my pain into beauty like I looked around my room and it was beautiful and I didn't feel so alone and I didn't feel so in the dark and I didn't feel totally lost in that moment and that just happened on the fly and I'm bringing it up because there's many experiences like that in the book where I'm just writing a recipe that's very simple very accessible and it just requires a willingness to do it. This sense of symbolism 
and meaning is deeply old in our bones as people. So whether or not you grew up with ritual or you have any relationship to it, there's something that gets ignited and remembered just by trying to do it. And in that, it may lead towards this love affair, towards ritual and employing it as life changes. So, you know, if you're listening and you're a ritual curious person, this book's for you. Yeah. It's an interesting idea that like if you take that first step, then this process that has been with us for millions of years, like our development from being cave people to now, like it meets you halfway. And I almost feel like as you were saying that there's a sensation of this greater force kind of moving through that can really have a potential to connect you to just deeper aspects of humanity and also cultivate that ability to let go of fixed states, which I'm sure were really beneficial for our ancestors in survival even, you know, so there's this kind of genetic benefit even to engaging in something that just allows you to connect to the wider space that you're actually engaged in. Yeah. 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 So is it possible that as we're working with this, it's it, we could maybe get caught up in the desire for a specific outcome as well. Cause that's something I'm connected to a lot of folks who are into magic with a K, you know, and who have very set, like when they do something like this, they're actually looking for the cause and the effect. Yeah. Is that something that could potentially get um, a little dicey while we're engaging 100%. with this? Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I write about this quite a bit in the book, which is like, a like a real warning to not engage in a ritual with a guarantee you know it's not a car it's not a machine just because you start it it goes rituals are alive and just like anything alive how you approach it and how you depart from it impacts what shows up to you. So if you approach this thing as if it's a guaranteed thing, I mean, it might be that it doesn't show up at all. You know, there has to be a certain kind of wondering and, um, and a, and a willingness to consider that it's, um, in the, in it not being guaranteed and the fact that it's, it's, it, who knows that sense of wonder can arise when it does show up. So I think the pitfall that you're naming is something to be cautious about, especially if you're, um, you know, if you're, if you're even somewhat practiced in ritual, um, it's something to be really cautious of because um, rituals are not, uh, you know, they're not born from this consumer mindset that says, you know, just because I want it, I get it. You know, um, there's a humility that happens and 
you know, life, when life changes and we move through these thresholds of death and birth and everything in between, you know, they're really humbling. And the rituals that mark those moments, even if it's seasonal, you know, it just turned spring here last month. And getting to that point, sure, there's celebration in that, right? And and the ritual is is meant to mark a, a change out of winter and into spring, right? The spring equinox. But there's also another side of it, which basically says some people didn't make it, but I did. And one day I won't. You know, and there's a certain humility that can come from that remembrance of we made it. There's a celebration in that, but there's also a humility in that. And it's part of that that helps the ritual to to come into the world. It's the it's the willingness to acknowledge that, you know, here I am. I made it. Let's say it's a birthday. You know, I made it to this, I made it another year. And and the ritual can come from a remembrance of that you didn't do that alone. You know, that so many others helped you get to this point. So, you know, one word that I keep on bringing up that I really should mention is this word remembering. I mean, I keep on saying it as if it's just like assumed, but we should talk about it for a minute because you know, remembrance is really a core function of ritual. And yet it's very human to forget. I mean, we all forget all of the time. So rituals really their core function is a way to remember to remember. They help kickstart us. Oh, yeah, right. You know, oh, yeah, I'm not going to take this for granted. Or oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, 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 yeah, I forgot who I was, or I forgot who you were, or I forgot where I am. It helps us to take the broken pieces. Because the word remembrance has two real words in it, re to do again, and member, which is another way of saying whole. So if you're doing if you're bringing something together again, to be whole, it's insinuating that it was broken or forgotten. Because you can't remember unless you forgot. So remembrance is in relationship with forgetting. And ritual is one way to almost harmonize that human relationship. I'm forgetting, I remember. I'm forgetting, I remember. It turned you know, turn spring, I forgot. Now I'm remembering. I turned 50 years old, I forgot. Now I'm remembering my purpose. Uh, I got divorced. I forgot who I was. Now I'm remembering. So when so was born, I forgot. And now I'm remembering. So ritual is one way to help bring that semblance of to of remembering of wholeness back together again. I think that highlights something that a lot of people kind of misunderstand and that wholeness is not 
the sum result of something, but it's actually a choice and it's a cultivated action that you do time and time again. And I really like the framing of remembering. It's remaking yourself whole yeah. and then finding all of the punctuation points in life where you can actually do that. And it's amazing that we have so many, even within one day, yeah. you know, just waking up, there is a sense of an opportunity to really, really wake up and remember that this is a fresh day yeah. and the potential and the possibility that comes. But with that, that can only happen. I mean, really, sure, that can happen intellectually. I do that all the time. But the real heartfelt, like the real beautifully devastating remembrance is that you woke up today and others didn't, right? Like it wasn't guaranteed, but you, but here you are. And in that, like not taking it for granted, that is really where the genuine authenticity of the ritual can come from. Because most of us, and sometimes me too, I wake up entitled. Like, oh yeah, I woke up. I'm on my phone. I'm distracted. Another day, thinking about what to do. You know, there's no pausing to acknowledge this is a miracle. I woke up today. That's, that was unlikely but it happened. That's the, that's the remembrance piece. You know, like I ate lunch. Some people didn't. Maybe one day I won't for lots of reasons. It's that, it's there's the piece that I think is really missing from a lot of our engagements in life because we live in a very self-centered individualistic based culture that basically says you get what you want when you want it, you know? I feel like it. Um, there's kind of like a tender sadness that comes with that, right? Like in order to really have that recognition, like that sense of gratitude, it also, I mean, it's the yin and the yang of like, you really have to hold kind of the suffering of the world in your heart when you take this work on. Otherwise, it has a, a potential to be like spiritual materialism where you're just trying to feel good and have a nice warm blanket, but it really does take that sense of, there's like a broken heartedness yes. that I'm sure kind of expresses itself through that. Khalil Gibran in The Prophet, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, the more sorrow your heart carves into your heart, the more joy it can contain. That's beautiful. You know, so there's a relationship between our willingness to be heartbroken and our capacity to experience joy. You know, this is exactly what Leonard Cohen says with, he says, ring the bells you still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets through. You know, it's, wow. it's in our willingness to be heartbroken about how things are. Even waking up, like some people didn't. It's in that broken-hearted tenderness that you're referring to. That's where the joy rushes in from. But now I've been given this chance. How am I going to really seize this day? 
How am I going to really give gratitude? That's another word, by the way, that's overused these days. Gratitude. You know, a, a word I use with my teachers. I'm I I sorry, my students. I lead a teacher training. Is praise. You know, how can I praise what I've been given? Not just say thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it helps to have different words for things, especially with gratitude, intention, because I feel like a lot of folks use these words very nonchalantly yeah. and they haven't actually had like a genuine experience. And like when you say praise, that already doesn't have the same level of connotation. So we're able to kind of focus less on the word and more on the meaning. Whereas like you say gratitude, it's like I've seen that in a birthday card or whatever. You know, but those words that are a little bit on the edge of our um, vernacular. I'll give you a good you know, a good example of... that happened today. Um, one of my closest friends last year was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, a bunch of us close friends to her, um, we held her in a ritual when she was first diagnosed. We saw her through her chemo and her radiation. She's 35, by the way. And she got, she was in remission, uh, I think like five months ago. Anyway, she just went to the doctor today and kind of got a scan to see if there was any cancer back. And there wasn't. Yeah, but she didn't say thank you. It wasn't like a gratitude situation. She put on her favorite dance music and she sent us a recording, a video of her shaking her booty so hard and so happily that it was, it was all I could see was her, her whole being was praising her health because she's been through the ringer, because she lost it. So the dance was not like, yay. It was, uh, I do not take this moment for granted. This is a really important moment. This is a praiseful It's powerful. Yeah. Well, I do know you have another recording to do after this, and I don't know if I could top that story <laughs> with another question. <laughs> So, Day, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I know you have a lot of obligations, so I don't take this lightly. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to share about my work, and I don't take for granted that what I put out in the world would be anything as valuable as you inviting me on to talk about it. So thank you so much for seeing the meaning in my art and in my writing and in my teachings. And, um, and I hope that whoever's listening is moved by our conversation today. And, you know, in some ways is inspired to attempt to try a ritual and to feel more resourced when life inevitably changes as it will. Where can people find you? Uh, where can people kind of, for those who really want to go deeper in this work, I know you have a lot of opportunities. Where would you say is the best place? Sure. I'd say, obviously, websites. Um, my most prominent one is morningalters.com. That's M-O-R-N-I-N-G-A-L-T-A-R-S.com. Um, and also Morning Alters on Instagram if you like to get 
some daily beauty in your feed. Um, I put out a lot of nature art. Um, and yeah, and especially um, joining our newsletter. Um, I'm constantly writing a lot of heartfelt um, musings that are not that are not really about selling you anything, but that are just about taking these themes of of life, of change, of meaning, of symbolism, of ritual, of nature, of creativity, and exploring them around what's going on in my life and what's going on in the world. So, oh, and then lastly, um, if you're interested in this teacher training, um, morningalters.com slash teacher training is much more information and um, I've created a lot of things in my life and this might be the best thing I've ever crafted. So I'm very proud of the training and would love to invite you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I'm gonna go sign up for your newsletter awesome. right now after this, so <laughs> yeah. Great All right, Dave, thank you. I will talk to you soon okay. as well. Thank you. All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening all the way through until the end. It really does mean a lot to me, and I genuinely mean it when I say I make this show for you. Uh, some of you have reached out and uh, just let me know how you're feeling, and I really appreciate that. I love interacting with you. I love to hear who's resonating with this work. That was Day Shieldcrat. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did because that was a blast to the heart. It was such a lovely time interacting with him. And I really encourage you to check out his platform, especially his Instagram. It's beautiful. It's mind-boggling. Uh, also, dayshieldcrat.com and morningalters.com. He's got his books wherever you can find books. So I also really encourage you to give that a look and, um, yeah, get plugged in. If uh, you resonated with this, then you know, and then you'll probably already be looking it up. So, all right. Thank you so much, friends, for all your support and the love. I will see you in a couple weeks.